You're listening to a Miscellany News production. My name is Holly Shulman, and this is Inside Voices, a call-in podcast dedicated to stories from the time of COVID-19. Today, I'm going to talk to four different college students and ask them to share their experiences. The first two callers who I talked to together are young women who were studying abroad in Quito, Ecuador this semester. Like most abroad programs, theirs was canceled as COVID-19 spread across the globe. Nice to meet you guys. Thank you so much. Yeah, of course. I'm Holly. I go to Vassar. I'm friends with Sophie from high school. So why don't you tell me your names, where you go to school, what year you are. I'm Maggie. Um, I use she, her, hers. I go to McAllister College in St. Paul, Minnesota, um, another small liberal arts college, um, but I'm from State College, Pennsylvania. Um, my name is Linka. I am at school at Colorado State University in Fort Collins, Colorado. I'm a junior there studying watershed science, and I'm originally from um, Durango, near Durango, Colorado. I know you guys had a very interesting semester. So I was hoping you could just kind of tell us what happened. So we were going to be in Quito a lot of the time, staying with homestay families throughout the city. And then the program focused on ecology and conservation. So we traveled a lot throughout the country. We went to um, the highlands um, in the Andes and um, the cloud forest in the Amazon. Yeah, and the way the program tended to work, we had a week-long orientation, and then we started classes. And then after classes started, it was pretty much, we were in Quito for a week, and then we'd go on an excursion the next week, and uh, like the Highlands excursion was three days, but most of the other two excursions were week-long, so we'd be in Quito for a week, gone for a week, back in Quito for a week, gone for a week. Got it. So you were there for how many weeks? We were there for like a month and a half. I don't know how many weeks it ended up being sick. Yeah. And when you got there, were you aware of the coronavirus and like what was going on around the world or? We were actually talking about this. When we got there, there was like just a few cases and it was still just in China. Um, so we didn't think it would like ever proliferate to this kind of degree or affect us in Ecuador. Yeah, I got to Ecuador a couple of weeks before the program started to do some traveling with my mom. And I remember we were sitting in some restaurant or a hotel I can't remember what but it came up on the news that there was oh there's this weird new virus in China there's like nine cases and it was just kind of a few minutes of oh that's strange and then moved on and now it's everywhere so crazy so when did you start to think that it might be something that would affect you in this way well we didn't until we were, we were coming out of the Amazon and we, were, we hadn't even gotten we we're still on the boat coming up the river and one of our other people on our program got service and it was an email from her school saying that all students on Scripps campus were being asked to move out of their dorms. And then within the next 24 hours, or not even 24 hours, all of us had emails from our school by the time we got onto the bus. And then the next day, one of our students, one of our classmates was asked to return home. And then after that, just snowballed. And then yeah. that Sunday, we were at where the, our program was canceled maybe two weeks or so before our program got canceled. I had another friend um, on a different program in Quito and he was saying, I really hope like all our programs don't get canceled because of this. And I was like, I don't think that will 
happen. Like, don't worry. And then before we knew it, it was just snowballing. The Pinjija province, which is where Quito is, had a curfew from, it started off uh, a curfew from 9 p.m. to 5 a.m. So you weren't allowed to be out. And if you were, they would give you a ticket. And then by the time that Maggie and I left, a week later, it was 6 p.m. Yeah. 5 a.m. And then Guayaquil, which is where the virus first entered Ecuador, it's 4 p.m. to 5 a.m. Yeah, and that ended up making it really complicated for us to, like, finally get to the airport when we finally were able to leave because our flight wasn't until, like, 2 or 3 a.m. And we had to get to the airport before the curfew, so we had to be at the airport for, like half a day okay yeah so that's what I wanted to talk about next was so I know that a lot of students left before you guys and there were complications there talk about that what happened yeah so well they canceled the program that Sunday night like we were saying I forget the date of that but um they they said that we all needed to get flights out as soon as possible they didn't really specify we kind of understood that maybe there would be um, some travel restrictions coming into play, like at some point, but we didn't have much clear information about like when that would start. So I had a flight for that Tuesday afternoon. So it was less than two days away from when they told us. And a lot of people were able to get flights out Monday, the next day, and like really early Tuesday morning. And by the time Tuesday morning hit, my flight was canceled. Lanka's flight, I think was canceled too. Um, and I was able to get on like a later flight Tuesday night then. And then that was canceled too. And then it just seemed like everything in the like foreseeable future was canceled as well. I think the last real flight that left Quito for the U.S. was the, it was like a 4.55 a.m. flight on Tuesday. And that's the, yeah, last, the, last, three, the last three people from our program that were able to leave before we did. I think when I really started to get worried um, the most was then my April 6th flight got canceled by the airline. And I was like, oh no, I'm never going to be able to <laughs> leave. And all domestic travel had been restricted too. So there wasn't <clears throat> like domestic ground travel, domestic air travel, and international arrivals had all been shut down. But because domestic travel was restricted, there was no way to get from Quito to Guayaquil to fly out. And also we didn't want to end up being stuck in Guayaquil instead of stuck in Quito where we had a place to stay at least and like at that point there were a lot fewer cases in Quito still yeah were you staying with your homestay still during that time yeah we were with our homestays like I think an extra week which was really interesting to be quarantined with a host family yeah how was that what were you thinking feeling the day after our program was canceled I was not having a great time. I was just really, really sad. It was really hard to process the fact that this semester that we'd had, we'd had planned out for so long had suddenly just been snatched and we still had so much that we hadn't done. And I was having a really hard time letting go of that. But once I got accustomed to being there with my host family, it's actually really nice that they were very friendly people. I learned a lot of card games, Yeah, ate, ate a lot of food, had, some, had a lot of time just to myself, which is really nice. Yeah, the first day I, well, I really had a great experience with my host family, so I wasn't like bummed at all to be spending more time with them, but I couldn't help but feel like a little bit of a burden to be there extra. I mean, I would have been there anyway, but it was extra time than than other people in my program were staying, um, especially during such a weird 
time um, like this where they had to be like going out to the store and like continuing to bring me food and stuff. But yeah, after the first day or so, I definitely settled into it and like was able to just have a really good time with them and play a lot of games. Yeah, that's great that you guys were able to have such good times. I feel like I would have been freaking out a little bit. Like, were you scared at all? I was definitely very anxious during the time because we kept getting um, like different updates from the embassy saying that there were like different charter flights that they were working out. And then each time it just seemed to like fall through. So my parents were calling like our senators, our representatives. I was like on calling that I was in touch with the embassy in Quito. And like we were also in touch with the travel agencies and the people at SIT that are in charge of arranging travel and stuff. So there were a lot of, just a lot of moving parts um, involved in the process of figuring these things out. And um, it ended up being SIT that arranged the plans to get us out, but I think it was coming from a lot of different angles. So they chartered a flight with the U.S. like federal government, you think? It was, it was on TAME. I think it was, it was just a Latin American airline. Yeah, it's an Ecuadorian airline. An Ecuadorian airline. People were saying was that it was an exchange. They would take us home if they could bring Ecuadorians back. When did you get back? Last. We got back a week ago. Yeah. Well, last Monday, okay. the 23rd. My final flight from um, Denver to Durango had four people total on it. <laughs> wow. It was a huge, yeah. it was like a commercial airplane it was one of the smaller planes where it's um one seat on the left side and then two seats on the right. not huge but definitely still empty that's crazy wow and the airports were also empty or what was that like the Quito airport was wild everything was wrapped in um once you went into the actual airport center it was all wrapped in caution tape there were like it was only the people leaving, obviously, who were on the who were in the airport, and they had two people in hazmat suits taking everybody's temperature and filling out paperwork. Yeah, and there was nothing open, and the water fountains were all shut off, and they were selling water bottles for like three dollars. A lot of the people in the other SIT group were sick coming back, which made me really nervous. I don't know. <laughs> Um, and they were like, they didn't ask that many questions. Like, I don't know. It was, oh, yeah. they had like coronavirus symptoms. No, I don't know. It was like, I think they had been to the doctor and checked and whatever, and it wasn't coronavirus, but like it could have been, I guess. And like, I don't know. They didn't like do anything to even assess that at all. Yeah, that's super weird. <laughs> yeah. It was very strange. And no, nothing about um, quarantine or anything. Yeah, they didn't. That's another thing. Like, um, they didn't really give us, like, any instruction for that. Like, at this point, everyone's home. So it's, like, it doesn't matter that much. Like, make that much of a difference, I guess. But they didn't, like, really tell us anything specifically about that, which was... Yeah. So on a similar note, I'm wondering, because I've, I've read a little bit about people's thoughts regarding like the State Department's response and getting people home from abroad who might need to get back with all the 
new restrictions. Um, and there's been a lot of criticism about that. So I'm wondering how you both feel about how that process went for you, or if you've been following any of that news at all, what you think? Yeah. Well, being in touch with the embassy at the beginning, at least, was really frustrating. They didn't seem to be, like, making any attempt to, like... I, I think it was because there were, at that point, a lot more people than I realized that were stuck in Ecuador. I think it turned out that there were, like, ten to 15,000 Americans um, in Ecuador still. Um, but, yeah, we got some emails that were, like, we are currently not like evacuating um, Americans from uh, Ecuador and they just, they weren't really taking any kind of um, action on that, which was definitely frustrating. I think until like a lot of senators and representatives were putting a little bit more pressure, but it was definitely frustrating. To me, it felt like they, still weren't taking it seriously. Um, both when our program was canceled, like Ecuador was very much on top of it. They were taking preventative measures and it felt like the U.S. was still kind of like, oh, what? Coronavirus, what? And was behind. It, it was very strange, especially when we landed in the U.S. I was shocked that they weren't questioning us at all. And I think as far as that goes, I think that's something that should have been done differently. Because the reason it's spreading is because people are still moving around and coming, um, coming and going. And so if you don't have a, an idea about who has it, and most people don't, if they have it, they don't know it. And so it just, I think there could have been more done in the beginning. So then I just have one more question, um, which is, how do you feel now? Like, what's going on with you? What's life like? Yeah. Um. I don't mind this kind of like time at all being home and whatever I um, like can find a lot of things to do around the house, but it's definitely weird when I think in like when I go into the mindset of like what I would have been doing abroad right now um, instead of being home. Um, and it is weird to think that there's something so big happening that's so invisible um and just like going about my daily life at home is like just the same as it normally might be but yeah it's definitely weird but it's comforting that a lot of people are like in the same kind of um are having the same experience now because everyone's just at home like kind of either doing schoolwork or like working from home or not working or whatever everyone's kind of in it together so I definitely feel less alone now that I'm home I definitely I'm in the same boat as Maggie I it's kind of nice to be home and be you know with my parents I haven't spent really this kind of time at home where I'm not super super busy in a really long time and so it feels kind of nice just to be able to relax and life is a lot simpler you know schoolwork craft bake but it, it like your life doesn't have to be that complicated and that's kind of nice as long as you avoid listening to the news because then you start hearing about there's always some of the crises that are happening around the U.S. and it gets really harsh.
Yeah, like New York. I'm sure that's... <laughs> yeah, New York is wild. Yeah, it's a good time. Yeah. Are you in Brooklyn, too? Yeah, Park Slope, like 10 blocks away from Sophie. Oh, cool. Yeah. All right, so that's all I have to ask. Um, I'll be in touch when it's done. Send it over to you if you want to listen. Thank you yeah. so much. Thank, thank you, Holly. Thanks for reaching out. The next caller is a student at Tulane University who was also studying abroad when the coronavirus became a global pandemic. Instead of booking a ticket home when her program was canceled, though, she decided to stay where she was in Sevilla, Spain. Hey! Hi! So, why don't you introduce yourself? Tell us where you're calling in from. My name is Izzy. I am a student at Tulane University, usually. I'm a junior <laughs> except this year I'm studying in, um, in Sevilla for the year and I decided to stay even though my program got canceled around three two three weeks ago so how'd you decide to stay like what made you want to not come home when I told you to a lot of things first of all I just really love it here like I've been having an amazing time this year I, I really like the freedom I've been having this year and I felt like being at home, having to do all my classes online. I don't know. I just didn't appeal to me. Also, I have a boyfriend here who's from here. And so I wanted to stay because I have his, it's not like I'd be completely alone. I know a lot of people were scared to stay where they were studying abroad because they don't have any family or anyone if anything were to happen. But like I have him and his family who live here and have lived here their whole lives. And also I have my apartment here, which I had already paid for through June and everything. I just, I had everything sort of set up for me to be able to stay. And then after talking with my parents, they also felt like it was sort of dangerous to fly at the time. I felt safer staying where I was. So what did Tulane say? Were they like cool with it? So a bunch of people on my program got an email from their like home universities first saying that they had to come back even before our program got canceled. Um, but I didn't hear anything from Tulane. So I was just like, I'm staying here as long as I can. No one has told me anything, whatever. But like pretty much all of my friends here had already been told by their universities that they had to come back. And then my program got canceled. Tulane sent me an email like a day later than all of my friends being like, you need to come back. And then a day after that, my program here was canceled. There was a little line in the email from Tulane being like, if you have circumstances that would make it unsafe for you to come home or for any reason you need to stay, email this email. So I just emailed that email and kind of explained my circumstances and basically, I was just saying the truth, which is that I want to stay here. My classes here might resume and I want to be here if they do, because my school, the schools here hadn't shut down yet. And then they let me stay. But I have been getting many emails from both study abroad advisors at Tulane and directors at my program here being like, are you okay? Like, just for my own sanity, I'm going to check in with you. All these things like really worried about me. I think there's two other people who decided to stay from my program. And then from Tulane, I don't even know if there's anybody. There wasn't even, I think there was maybe one other person from the entire school in Sevilla. And I don't even know who it is. So you have your apartment through June, but like, 
they just moved the Olympics. They moved the Democratic National Convention, which is supposed to be in July. Like there are kind of signs that it might not be fully open by then. Do you have a plan for after that? I don't think that they have anyone lined up to move into my apartment. I don't think anyone's moving to Spain right now. (laughs) So I think that if I needed to stay, I could definitely stay here. Um, But it's just a matter of if I want to pay because in my tuition for my program was housing and they have now taken that away from me. So now I'm paying for my rent by myself because for some reason they think that they don't need to give me a refund, which I don't understand. Are you doing Zoom classes or what, what do your classes look like? I am not doing Zoom classes. It depends on the class you're in, what they're doing. Spain, the universities here in Spain don't seem to do Zoom. I haven't heard of anyone doing a Zoom class here. A lot of classes here have do online like Google Hangouts. So the guess would basically be the same as Zoom. It's like a, the exact same thing, except none of my classes are doing regular scheduled live classes. So I've had one class, which was yesterday line video chat whatever but besides that i've literally just had to hand in my assignments online like upload them and it's barely been anything it's been way less than the actual class in person but i think it really depends because my roommate who i live with who's on my same program she's like the other only person who stayed is working all day writing essays and all kinds of things and in class and so i think it just depends on the class and i happen to be in easy classes i don't know yeah, that's like pretty similar to what they're doing for mine because I was, for the listeners, I was in Cuba last semester um, and they don't like have good enough internet there to carry out Zoom classes or Google Hangouts or anything. So we're doing class over WhatsApp, which is like just the most ridiculous. It's like everybody, the professor's like, so what do you think of this? And like, obviously nobody answers and we're all just like, or like the professor gets on for like five minutes because they have to go somewhere specific to get Wi-Fi in Cuba. So they'll like be like, does anybody have any questions? And obviously nobody has any questions. We haven't done anything ever. And they'll be like, okay, like same time next week. <laughs> like, okay, great. So I'm spending, like people are taking out huge loans for this. Like, are you kidding? Yeah. Well, that's what a lot of people hear. I'm surprised, honestly, because I think a lot of students at least in the U.S., are like, woohoo, no school kind of type of attitude. Like, I don't really want to go to school. Some people, obviously not everybody, but like pretty much every single person here that I've heard, everyone is furious that they're doing this online thing. And people who live here in Spain from Spain and go to the university here, not study abroad students, are like, this is ridiculous that we're paying so much money and we have online stuff and it's barely even classes and blah, 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 which... I agree with, but I think it's interesting that they're not just like, okay, less school, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But what's it like there? Like, is it, it's stricter there. So we are not allowed to leave the house at all unless you are going to the supermarket or the pharmacy or if there's some kind of an emergency. But if you are, and even if you do leave the house for one of those reasons, you have to be alone. You can't go to the supermarket and shop with somebody else. Um, I mean, and it does depend on the store. Like we have a small like express supermarket around the corner from our house that we can go in together and they don't care. But if you go to like the big supermarkets, you have to go in one by one and you have to wait on a line that's spaced out each person and they count how many people are in the store and all this stuff. You have to put on gloves when you walk in. And if you go on the street, 
and are not going to one of those places, supermarket or the pharmacy, and they catch you, you get fined, I think, a thousand euros or something the first time. And then it goes up each time. Like, it's really bad. You cannot go outside. So we can't go on walks, runs, literally nothing. So what do you do all day? I try to do a few productive things each day. I mean, I don't know. It's hard because I don't have that much homework from my classes, but I do like like to get have the feeling of getting things done and learning and doing something a little bit, you know, stimulating with my brain. Yeah. But I haven't been doing a lot of schoolwork, honestly, because I just don't have much. So usually every day I at least try to do some kind of exercise. I've been doing a lot of like video workout things that I find on Instagram or whatever. I've been cooking a lot because I love to cook and I have been taking this opportunity to make elaborate meals, pretty much every single meal. So that actually takes a lot of time. I ordered a guitar on Amazon the other day. I also ordered a book in Spanish and my mom sent me a lot of art supplies. And I also had some art supplies before. So I've been doing some drawing and painting. But you don't realize how much stuff you have in your house to do or to look back at or just like to distract you or decorations, like literally anything. I don't have any of that here. And it really, I didn't really care before when I was living a normal life. But now I'm like, I don't even have like, scrap paper hanging around to like draw I don't have like a painting on the wall that like has been there my whole life like there's just like the little things you don't even think about that really make the difference and I don't have any of it are you keeping up with the Spanish news because I've heard it's not it's not going great there it's not going great here either but um I honestly am not keeping up with the news that much in terms of coronavirus I feel like they're doing better than the U.S. just because I know it's important to like be able to go outside and take a walk and whatever. But like, and I, it seems really crazy that like we're literally not allowed to go outside at all unless you're going to the supermarket. But I just feel like it's literally never going to end unless we have at least a period of time where everyone is seriously staying home. So I don't know. And, and for example, like the laws here are more like the entire country of Spain is on this lockdown, even though in Sevilla particularly, there's way less cases than like Madrid and those big cities and whatever. Like it wasn't actually that bad in Sevilla when they declared the state of emergency, but because it's countrywide, I'm genuinely kind of like scared because I really don't like not knowing when I'll be able to come back. Like I'm fine. I love it here. I love living here. I'm fine living here, but the thought of like you cannot return and we're not going to tell you when you can is really scary to me. And also I can't like fathom how this is going to get fixed. (laughs) And that's what scares me. Do you deal with that by like reading the news or by like distancing from the news? No, I distance. I feel removed from it even though I'm so in it. Like when I read all the statistics and the numbers, I'm like, whoa. And then I, can't go there if I can't like start really thinking about it and be like oh my god oh my god oh my god because I'll go insane the same thing with like I can't think about oh I'm probably going to be in this apartment for months I just can't let myself do that so I try to 
not. And that's why I'm trying to like distract myself with cooking and activities and musical instruments. I feel like you're doing really well and I'm really proud of you because I know this has been a challenge. And when you get back, we can play guitar together. Izzy and I used to be in a band together. It was was not good. (laughs) (laughs) We could harmonize on a couple songs, but that was about all. (laughs) With much, much help from our teacher. Yeah. Oh, Alyssa. Um, Okay, well, thanks for chatting. I miss you. Um, I'll talk to you soon. The last caller in this episode is a student at the State University of New York at Buffalo. She's at home in Brooklyn now and is sick with what is likely the coronavirus, although given the lack of testing kits in New York, she hasn't been able to find out for sure. So, tell me who you are. My name's Danae. I go to University at Buffalo, and I'm a junior. I'm from Brooklyn. So, how are you doing? Not too great. A little better today. I'm pretty sure I have the virus, so it's been a little stressful the past couple weeks. I've been pretty sick, and it's been really scary just watching the news and, like, seeing all these people, like, going into the hospital with, like, similar symptoms that I have, so it's been a little bit, like, mentally draining. I don't know, just trying to stay positive. (laughs) Yeah, you're surviving. You're doing so well. I know it's been really, really scary and tough. But so like, what are your symptoms right now? And what have they been in the past? So I came home from school when my school first closed. That was like three weeks ago. And I just had like, what seems like a normal common cold. Like I just had runny nose and like a little bit of a cough, but it was like seemed fine. And then when I got home, it sort of developed into like a fever And then I woke up, I didn't have any appetite, so I didn't eat for like three days. And then, I don't know, I wasn't thinking that it was the virus originally because I was having sort of different symptoms. Like I had a really fast heart rate and I was just like sweating and like, I don't know, it was just like, it didn't seem like the symptoms that like the CDC was like telling everyone like, you need to have like this crazy cough and like you can't breathe. So I was like, oh, like there's no way that it would be that. And then also on the news, I kept seeing that people were like, if you're under 50, like you're obviously fine, like pretty much saying that it wasn't a concern. So I kind of just pushed it aside for like a week and a half. And then I started feeling better. So I was like, oh, maybe it was nothing a week and a half ago it kind of felt like it started getting worse. I started having chest pains and like when I would take a deep breath, it was kind of just like a sharp pain. And so then I started getting worried. So I called a bunch of doctors, like trying to get as many opinions as I could. And basically like the consensus was that like, I shouldn't be going into doctor's offices and like just staying home, staying away from other people. And like, it was just kind of scary because when you feel like you're getting sicker and you just like want help, it's like scary to be told like, no, there's nothing you can do. So pretty much everyone was just telling me just like stay where you are until you feel like you like literally can't breathe, then go to the hospital. So like, it's kind of just been like a waiting game every day. Like, am I going to get better? Am I going to like 
have to go to the hospital. So it's a little bit stressful. So the doctors that you're calling, because I know that you don't usually have a primary care physician that you see. So yeah. where are you getting these doctors' numbers? So my mom was getting really worried. So she called her primary care physician and they told her, she was like, can I speak to you about my do- about my daughter? And they were like, no, she's not our patient. Like you have to find someone else. So we were kind of freaked out because... I don't have my own doctor, so we were like, we don't know who to call. But luckily, a lot of hospitals are doing like, and even like um, CityMD has it, and the one that I did was New York Presbyterian. Like, they have an online, like, you can basically video chat and do like a virtual appointment with a doctor from the hospital. And so I did two appointments, like, I did one appointment when I had the first symptoms just to like talk to someone. And then I did one like a few days ago to like check in again. And I mean, I think it was helpful in like getting some advice and like getting some more information on like coronavirus and like what young people like in my situation with like mild symptoms are supposed to be doing right now, but they can't prescribe you anything. And they can't, like, listen to me breathe and, like, actually, like, see how my lungs are. So, I mean, I think it was helpful. It was definitely something to do. It's definitely, like, a new experience. And I feel like sheds light on how privileged and lucky we've been throughout our lives that, like, anytime we've gotten sick, it's, like, the first move is to go to the doctor. And the doctor, like, I was talking to my mom because I know that, like, one of the side effects or one of the things... (laughs) out of the virus can be pneumonia and she had it a few years ago or like a long time ago it was like walking pneumonia so it's not that serious and so she felt totally fine and her doctor said you know if you don't go home and like put yourself in bed I'm just gonna hospitalize you so that you have to stay in bed which like no one would ever say now because hospital beds for like it's dangerous in the hospital and they don't have enough beds so yeah so you went to the doctor today right yeah How'd that go? I mean, I didn't really get any new information from what I had known before, but it kind of just gave me some peace of mind because like I was just having so much anxiety, like I wasn't sleeping because I was just like worrying all night. And like when I would have trouble breathing, it would just make me instantly start worrying like, oh, maybe I'm going to be one of those cases where like I can't breathe. Maybe this is just going to keep getting worse. I went in and it was kind of crazy because I I wanted to be the first person there. So I wasn't sitting in a waiting room with all these sick people um, because I know a lot of the offices are like crazy right now. So I went and I got there like 10 minutes before they opened and there was already a line like at the door. There was like 10 people in front of me. Everyone was standing six feet apart and everyone was, people had like huge masks on. It was kind of intense. I can't imagine like during the day, it's probably so many people. And even the doctor said when I came in, he was sort of just like, running through it really quickly I guess because like he had so many other people to see and he was like I see hundreds of people every single day with these same exact symptoms like it seems like everybody has this and I don't know it was just kind of crazy to see firsthand like I mean I'm sure it's way crazier at the hospitals but it was just kind of like eye-opening I've seen it on tv but actually like being in the office and like seeing how they're just like 
they were just like going down the list so quickly and just like everyone it seemed like everyone there had the virus so it was just kind of like freaky I don't know do they so they listened to your lungs they took your temperature like what did they do yeah they took my temperature um he took my like oxygen level like from my finger um how was that because I know you were saying a while ago that your fingers were starting to turn blue yeah I told him that and because I said oh it was really weird a few days ago I was feeling like really cold all day and I had chills and my temperature was pretty low and I noticed that like my fingertips were sort of like more of like a purplish than like like they're usually like reddish so like I don't know I told him that and he was like yeah like you just have to like be aware of your oxygen levels but he like took it and he said it looked like perfect now. So I don't know if maybe that was just like one day where I was maybe more sick, but I don't know. But he listened to my lungs. He listened to me breathe. And he said that it sounded pretty clear overall, which definitely made me feel better. Yeah. That's so good. Cause I know that was like a big stress. Was that in Bay Ridge, Brooklyn? Yeah, in Bay Ridge. They didn't test you, though. No, they didn't test me, but I asked him if I should be tested, and he was just kind of like, we have limited tests, and, like, we need to save the tests that we do have for older people, people who have already have, like, existing health conditions. And he said, like, you're a 20-year-old, like, pretty healthy girl, so I don't think that there's any need for it. So that's kind of crazy too, because they're probably not, I mean, there were 10 people in line already. And then, like you said, it probably is much more like in the middle of the day. Yeah. So I, like those are so many people that aren't even counted in the numbers of cases that we're seeing in New York, which is already yeah. like, really high. Yeah. That's what I was thinking too, because it was only those like few people that I saw there in front of me, but none of them seemed like super old or like nobody seemed like they were dying like so severely sick so like I'm sure that none of those people got tested so it's just like there's probably so many more people that have it than we know which is crazy and he gave you something right the doctor yeah I haven't gotten it yet but he prescribed me like some sort of cough medicine and I just told him I wasn't really coughing a lot but it was more just the chest pains. And then he said, he was like, I'm pretty sure that you have the virus. And even if you're not having the cough now, like you will have a bad cough. So I was just like, okay. Cool. <laughs> Sounds good. But you've had it for a while now. It's been like three weeks, right? Yeah. Um, any like timeline? That's just like the frustrating part of it. But I think that that just goes with like any... Like, people who have had, like, pneumonia and stuff, it's just, like, I feel like when you have any infection in your lungs, it just, like, unfortunately takes so long, and it's, like, so frustrating. But one of the doctors that I spoke to on the phone, like, the virtual care, she told me it could take, like, four weeks for my lungs to recover. So it's just kind of, like, staying home and resting and healing. I think that's the only thing I can really do. Yeah. So how is that at home? I know you live with your mom. 
Mm-hmm. So does she try to keep her distance or are you just kind of like, we're going to get it? Um, well, that's probably been the toughest part because when I first started having the symptoms a few weeks ago, um, I was just really, really worried, not even for myself, because I was, I had heard that if I'm young and healthy, that I'll be fine. So I was just like, okay, I'll be sick and I'll get through it and I'll be fine. But I was just really scared because my mom is almost 65 and she has had health conditions in the past. And it just honestly like terrified me. So I went, I got as much disinfecting stuff as I could. And I, cause we share a bathroom and we share a kitchen. So every time I make food or take a shower, brush my teeth, use the sink, I wipe everything down. Like just trying to be really cautious, but it's kind of just tough because I know a lot of people who think they have the virus, they're like in isolation from their families. Like if people have the privilege of like having an extra floor in their house or like having like their own bathroom that they can use. But like me and my mom live in a one bedroom apartment, like a pretty small living space. So it's kind of hard I've been trying to like, if I have to cough, I only cough in like my room. So I'm not like spreading it all over the apartment, but I don't know. That's been the biggest stressor. I think just trying to keep a distance, but like we can't really. Yeah. It's so hard. And I know you're like trying your best and I'm sure she is too. Is she, she's really stressed about it as well. Or how does she feel about it? Well, she's definitely worried about me, but she's also, I mean, it's just scary because she knows that if she gets it, which is like a pretty high chance that she does, like with the way that we're living, like it could be serious and like, it could be scary. And we've had a lot of like conversations about it where we're both just like really anxious about it. But I think we just decided like, we're going to try to be as safe as possible, but try not to freak out about it. Cause then like, if we're just living in this like stressful environment where we're like walking on eggshells, I think, it's just not going to help the situation. So, yeah, for sure. Cause like Danae and I were talking about this yesterday, but a lot of the time with sickness, your mentality, especially if it's like a prolonged sickness like this, can really affect how your body feels. But yeah, you guys are both being such troopers and <laughs> trying so hard, even though like you sleep like what, two hours a night because of this? Yeah, it's a lot. I don't know, but I'm just, I'm always been like that, like even like not about sickness. Like I feel like a lot of times, um, if I have something on my mind, it's just like, I don't sleep. Like I just lay in bed all night and worry. And I think that's like something else that I need to work on. But that combined with like having this like scary sickness that's like related to this whole pandemic is just like, just like a recipe for like disaster. Yeah. But definitely stuff I can work on. Yeah. Like you're going to try meditating today, right? Yeah. (laughs) Exciting. Have you ever done that before? I think I've tried like once before, but I never really got into it. But I think since I have like a reason to now, I have some like motivation. So maybe it will work out. (laughs) Also, now that you've talked to the doctor, hopefully that will help calm some. Yeah. Like that honestly was just like kind of a relief. 
just like being looked at in person and having him tell me that he didn't think it was life threatening at all. And like, that just like helped me like take a deep breath and be like, okay, I need to stop thinking I'm going to die and just like try to get through this. Cause like, I'm clearly not helping myself. So how is, I was wondering about your mom's, cause your mom has her own business and I know you were trying to like make it go remote. How's that going? Um, and also like, what is her business and what does she do? Okay. So my mom is a personal fitness trainer and she works at, it's like a sports club, mostly for like older people or people who have had like a lot of her clients have had like a hip surgery or like something that they need physical therapy for, but she works for herself. So she's not employed by the sports club she's like um they call it a private contractor so and she does like private appointments where um her clients just pay her directly so like basically when when everything started getting shut down she was just completely out of business my dad works for a big video company so he still has like even if he's not working, he still has his like set salary. He has his benefits and he's still like doing completely fine. But when the lockdown happened, like my mom lost every like source of income she had. So it was sort of just like, we have to find a new way to try to make some money so we can like live through this. And so she started doing online appointments and luckily a lot of her clients were interested and they they wanted to still exercise like virtually through this quarantine so she's been able to do she's definitely doing a lot less work but at least she's doing something so she's been setting up video appointments and so if she does like three a day it's a lot less than she would normally do but it's definitely like helping Good. That's good. And you got, you taught her how to do all that, right? Like the technology. Yeah. <laughs> um, she's been making these like workout videos and sending them to her clients. So I've just been like editing and adding music and like cutting them up and just being a little editor because okay. I want to help her. And I don't know, I just feel really bad because I just, I can see that it's sort of taking a toll on her. She's like stressed about it. And I don't know, it's just scary. I know that she tried applying for unemployment and it was just kind of a hassle. She was on the phone for like two hours and they kept putting her on hold. And I mean, it's just kind of crazy because like pretty much like a huge portion of the country is applying for the same thing. So it's just... Yeah. like hard to get oh it's all so scary and you're really getting it from all sides but I'm so proud of you for how you're handling it and being so upbeat and helpful how's Jay doing and who's Jay so Jay is my brother he's my half brother but he lives with my dad um and they live about 15 minutes away from me and my mom um and he basically has been struggling with MS, which is an autoimmune disease. So he doesn't really have any like physical capabilities. 
he's in a wheelchair and he can't use his legs or his arms. He can't feed himself or use the bathroom by himself. So it's just been pretty scary like the past five years um, because it's just been getting progressively worse. So then when this whole virus started happening, um, it was just immediately really concerning because he is in that group of people who they're warning about. They're saying people with these types of diseases that weaken their immune system, they are so susceptible to this. And like, it's just scary because he is like one of those people. So, um, when I first came home from school a few weeks ago, I had no idea that I would possibly have the virus. So I immediately wanted to like see my family and it's just kind of a scary time. I wanted to like be around my parents and be around my brother. I think it was like the second day that I was home. I went to my dad's house and I was just like hanging out, like chatting with him. And I don't know, it just, I hadn't really thought about it that much until that point, but it just kind of like, scared me because my dad I was about to go into my brother's room to say hi and my dad was just like please like I know this is hard but I just don't want you to even go in the room just to be safe and I really am like now looking back like so happy that my dad said that because if I had gone in there and like given him anything it just could have been like really, really bad. Yeah. I know that's been so scary. And I'm like, just, it's great that he is having contact with the outside world and like is safe in that way. Does your dad take like heightened precautions, do you think, because of that? Yeah. Well, um, because usually my dad, he works full time in the city. So when he goes to work, my brother has an aide, um, Tony, and he comes and he pretty much works nine to five. He takes care of my brother all day until my dad gets home from work. Before I even came home from school, so it was probably like four weeks ago, um, Tony called my dad and he he just basically said, I don't think that I should come to work anymore because my wife works at a school where a bunch of the kids tested positive for coronavirus. And so he said, I could potentially like be a risk to Jay. And like, I just don't think I can come anymore. So then luckily my dad started working from home. So he's been able to sort of multitask doing work from home and taking care of Jay because taking care of Jay really is a full-time job. So like, it was kind of scary when his aide couldn't come anymore that my dad, I could just tell my dad was kind of freaking out and he was like, how am I going to manage this? But I've been talking to him a lot and it seems to be like going fine and they're doing good, staying isolated. So. Oh my God. I'm so sad. I wish we were going to our favorite coffee shop. Can I know. shout out? Maybe someday. <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, I love you. Thank you so much for chatting with me. Sleep and meditate, and I'll talk to you later. Okay, bye.